0: Avalara proudly sponsors this podcast series about accountants, by accountants, and featuring some of the best thought leaders in the industry. Thank you to our sponsor, Avalara. Avalara's award-winning tax automation solutions help accounting practitioners and businesses of all sizes simplify sales tax compliance with real-time rates, automated returns filing, and more. Learn more at avalara.com. everyone, this is Laurel Lynn and you're listening to the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly Accounting Podcast. More accountants than ever are experimenting and shaping our profession in new and interesting ways. On this show, I sit down with these rock stars to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, the struggles, and the strategies that they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. Accountants can earn free CPE credit from listening to this podcast. Just download the Earmark CPE app in the App Store or visit earmarkcpe.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly Accounting Podcast. I am your host, Laura Lynn Wilson, and I am so excited for today's episode. So a year ago, when Blake Oliver reached out to me and asked me to host a podcast and asked me to brainstorm certain topics, you know, what I might want to discuss... This was the topic I was most excited about. So it's almost been a year before I got the right guest on the show to do this. And I don't want Marvel to sue us, but it's, I'm going to call this the zero to 30K MRR multiverse of madness, is what it is. And so <laughs> the premise, the premise of this episode is what would you do or how could you scale a firm zero to 30K MRR? In the fastest, quickest, most efficient way possible. And to help us do that is Kane Polakoff. And I got it right. I crushed that. Yeah, right?
1: Yeah. Congratulations.
0: <laughs> and and Kane is retired for one week. He literally is just uh he just switched firms. So he's starting at Cone Resnick. I said that right too. That's which correct. Is, yes, which is a top twelve firm. But before that, you were at UHY. Was That's that correct. The,
1: yeah. Yeah, I was and, at UHRI for about three and a half years,
0: and they were very large too. Though, how big were they? Yeah,
1: yeah So they're a top twenty nine uh, firm, mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. and Cohen's a top twelve. Mm-hmm.
0: And you there, you led right their client. Ad- it's the, I'm like I always get all the A's confused. Is it the client advisory and accounting services? Is that how they use that acronym? Client so, so, accounting so, so, advisory uh, services.
1: Yeah. So yeah. So we called the client accounting advisory services. Mm-hmm. which is cat? you know, some people call it client accounting services or client advisory services. Mm-hmm. So all three, is very similar. Uh, we can talk a little bit about the differences um, as we kind of continue our conversation.
0: Yeah, I actually saw there was a Twitter thread where it was an article maybe put out by the AICP. I can't, it was one of the big, big accounting publications that it was like accountants cannot come to an agreement on what that acronym, <laughs> acronym actually is or should be. Like everyone, Describes it slightly differently. <laughs> so, in your new job, are you doing the same work, or is it a similar role, or how's it same? How's it different?
1: Yeah. So at UHY, um, I was the I was brought in to start the uh, cast practice. So I was wow. employee number one. Um, so three and a half years ago, it was there was no technology, there was no process, uh, and there were no people besides myself. So I was in a little corner and. I had my laptop and uh, started, you know, started from scratch. Uh, And we can talk more about that in in a little bit. Uh, At Cohen Resnick, there is a a foundation of work, uh, but looking to kind of take what we have and build it, the foundation upon it to take it to the next level. So, you know, looking at it, you know, from evaluating the type of people we have, how do we enhance the processes and how do we leverage, you know, wonderful technology to be able to deliver a you know, great service to our clients. So I'm kind of doing the same thing, but the great, mm-hmm. the great thing now for me is I have that framework, I have that blueprint, and I've gone through uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, yes. With the UHY, and uh, hopefully most of uh, Cohn Riznik will be the good.
0: Yes. Yeah. Instead of going from zero to one, you're going one to two. So you have That's a good right. foundation to build from. That's- I also was peeping at your LinkedIn and noticed you're the member of a lot of strategic councils. The CPA.com, Intuit, Bill.com, BotKeeper. Am I missing any? Are there other ones?
1: There's others, but I can't talk talk about it. All
0: right. So which one out of all of them, which one's your favorite one to be a part of? It's a great question. I think, you know, I you know, every, everyone is a little bit different.
1: I'll answer it that way. So we have like cpa.com. We're helping to define what, what's becoming CAS 2.0. So right now we're focusing, you hear the word terminology, CAST 1.0, and how do we kind of move to the next level to provide the next service? So it's, you know, it's great. We, we meet with a bunch of CAST leaders and, and um, thought leaders around the industry. We kind of help define what the future will be. So I think that you know, I've been doing that over a year now. That's been fantastic and helping to kind of listen because we're still it's it's still a beginning. We're at an evolution of what CAS is going to become. It's only it's been around for about ten years, but the last three to four years we've seen a just a huge uh, growth in demand. But then when you look at you know Botkeeper and Intuit and, and some of the others I'm part of, you get more into the technology. And how is the technology solving some of the issues? So it's it's fun to kind of, it helps me uh, get pretty ins- insightful of what's happening in the industry. And then ITA, which um, I'm a board member, we're, we're helping to collaborate with a small group of top uh, 100 firms and, and helping to define and collaborate and discuss some of the challenges we have within the industry and how do we solve them. So it's been, it's fun to be active in all those different associations.
0: Yeah, definitely. It seems like with the CPA.com versus the other two, you're kind of on both sides of the coin
1: which is yeah no, definitely yeah it's it's been great to be able to do all
0: yes okay so tell us a little bit about your background before you started at Uhy building that cast program like how did you get the tools and the expertise to even be able to step into that role
1: yeah, so I was fortunate uh know coming out of uh, my undergrad business uh degree to work for accenture and um, and the great thing about working for a large consulting company is that in a very early age, you're taught about how to leverage technology, how to how to improve processes and how to work with clients. So, you know, the first part of my career is really the focusing was really on the Fortune 100 companies and how to come in there and how to make them more efficient. And that was, you know, that was in the late 90s. And then with Y2K and everything, I I was fortunate then to get into uh, what we call business process outsourcing. And that was for more Fortune 100 companies too, where we were looking to high transaction volumes and how to take these manual paper-based processes and digitize and, and create, you know, technology solutions that can enable processes to become more efficient. And then at that point in time, back in early 2000s with Y2K, with India and offshoring too, I I got a, a taste of that and, and to be able to, to work in countries such as uh, China, India, and the Philippines and other parts and how to Put that all together and support our clients. So over the years, I've kind of moved more down the from the Fortune 100 to more of the small SMB market. And uh, I've always enjoyed kind of how do you put everything together, how to build something, you know, from the ground up. I've had experience in in my past having to start new lines of business, which we call more of an entrepreneur. So kind of building a new line of business within a, a, an existing organization and small organizations, large organizations, different type of technology. And then I kind of moved into running, you know, being heavily involved in in BPO. And then I got the opportunity, uh, very luckily, to start at at UHY, where everybody was talking about CAS and and outsourcing and offshoring. And uh, I was able to meet the right individuals at UHY. They were ready to do it. I mean, CPA.com and everybody were talking about the growth and the expectations. You look at accounting today and a lot of other surveys, it's, you know, it's the fastest growing line of business within the public accounting world today and uh, started back in July of 2019. And and the rest is history.
0: So when you were at UHY, were you pretty much given free reign? They're like, you do whatever you want to do. Or were there layers of bureaucracy you had to deal with? Because I know at a large company that can happen.
1: And so I was very fortunate that the first day that I started that, you know, I, I was put in an office and it was really a blank sheet of paper. So there was, there was no predefined expectations of, uh, what technology to use, you know, how to build it, what process to use. And, and the executives in the firm were very supportive in those efforts. So they really, uh, deferred uh, to myself and, and as we hired others to, to kind of take on that journey and, and they're there to support us, but there wasn't, uh, Hey, you need to look at these twenty technology platforms, or you need to hire these many people. It was really, mm-hmm. you know, put together a business plan. We'll we'll talk about it, and then we'll
0: execute it as we move forward. Mm. So, what made you make the change then from UHY to Cohen you Talk about that. I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> no, no,
1: great question. So, you know, for fast- for the three and a half years, we you know we we were the one of the fastest growing lines of business within within UHY, we, you know, we grew from myself to, you know, over a hundred folks and uh, wow. became a very large uh, organization. And uh, we're at a good place. Uh, the practice is, is running very well. It's profitable and it's been growing. And, uh, you know, I just had the opportunity to, to meet with somebody at Kohn Resnick and, and kind of hearing their vision of of where they want to go and how big they want to get and, and kind of the support. And, uh, you know, I felt really good about what I've done at UHY and we had uh, we have good leaders there, and we'll continue to take the torch and, and grow that organization. But the uh, the opportunity for me at Cone is is going to be fantastic opportunity for really to take it and really build something very large. And uh, and, and and I am very proud of what I did at UHY. I wish mm-hmm. only the best, and I'm looking forward to my next adventure coming up uh, very shortly.
0: Yeah, is it is the client makeup or customer makeup similar across the two firms? Like, are you going after the same clients? Is it a similar service offering, similar price point? How does that kind of play yeah, out? so
1: yeah, so if, uh, UHY is uh, focused more on private, smaller organizations. So uh, you know, less from a top line revenue perspective, where uh, you know, Cone has uh, has larger uh, firms that they support. So uh, it'll be more of a pure play looking from a BPO perspective for. For Cohen Resnick, we're at, uh, at UHY. We're working with a lot of organizations that were less than you know ten or fifteen million dollars in top line revenue, as an example. Where Cohen would be twenty five, thirty, fifty, hundred million or, or greater. So,
0: mm-hmm. okay, very cool. Well, congratulations on that move. I hope it goes amazingly for you.
1: <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. I'm I'm, re- I'm I'm enjoying my week off being retired. Though.
0: Yes, That's you're one week of retirement. So. All right, let's let's get into it. Okay, so the premise everyone is we are in the accounting multiverse of madness. Kane wakes up one day and he is in an alternate universe and he doesn't know anyone in this universe. He doesn't have a job, he doesn't have any <laughs> clients. All he has is $5,000 in his pocket and his experience and you know everything he knows and learns up to his point. And so what we want to try and figure out is what's the quickest way we could get to 30K MRR? So how do we build a practice? What steps do we take in which order? Who do we go after? What's our marketing look like? What's our tech stack look like? How does hiring look? Who do we hire? What order do we hire? How much are we trying to pay them? You know, Or are we offshoring? I don't know. So what we're trying to figure out is what's the best way to do this because I think this is very applicable because I think there's a lot of accountants who would love to do this or want to get better at building their own firm and so you know maybe they're able to take a couple tips away so and you know you just said you built your that division from zero to a hundred people in basically three years so you are the man to talk to us about (laughs) this yeah this is this is great and I wasn't
1: expecting this question too so it makes it more exciting
0: Avalara helps businesses of all sizes get indirect tax compliance right. Their sales tax solutions help you manage sales and use tax complexities while lessening risk for your business and clients. Whether you're a small business or a global enterprise, Avalara can help you deliver tax compliance services confidently and efficiently. Over 30,000 organizations across the globe use Avalara's cloud-based compliance solutions to solve transaction tax compliance needs, including sales and use, VAT, and other direct and indirect taxes. So, all right, but let's just start with day one. You wake up five thousand dollars in your pocket. What's the first thing you're doing?
1: So, so am I assuming that I have an office and I have a laptop? Yes,
0: we'll we'll give you an office. We'll give you a laptop. You can work from home. Well, you don't necess- work-
1: okay, okay,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so.
1: Okay. So if I had, you know, if I had $5,000 and I had my laptop, I'm working in my garage, i will be like Steve Jobs mm-hmm. or, uh, yeah, yeah. or something like that. So I'll, I'm going to break it out between people, process, and technology. So I oh,
0: love it. Love it.
1: So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with technology because if I don't have a, a technology platform, mm-hmm. then it, it would be hard for me to, to deliver a service to a client. Mm-hmm. So the great news about technology today is it's cloud-based, it's a SaaS model and, and you pay as you go. So I don't have to make a big CapEx investment uh, mm-hmm. to establish technology. So, you know, there are tools that you know, I'm not going to advocate for one or others, you know, such as, you know, Intuit or Zero or, or Sage Impact or NetSuite, you go down at Microsoft Dynamics. So I would establish a relationship with one of those with one of those partners uh, technology partners and let's just say Intuit uh, for hypothetical speaking mm-hmm. and uh, setting up QuickBooks online. So I would work with them. They would, I would, I would not have to make any investment there. Make sure they have all the training and, and certification process ready to go so that um, when I do identify my first client that I can move forward. The second tool that I would identify would be an AP automation tool because that's also, mm. uh, when you look at the SMB market, there's a lot of challenges with accounts payable and, and dealing with paper. And there are tools that are out there that integrate with a zero or a QBO or a Sage in such as, you know, bill.com or uh, Tapulti or use. And the mm-hmm. nice thing about those tools as well is they, you pay as you go. So I would sign up with one of those providers, let's just say bill.com. So now I have a, a tech solution with QuickBooks Online and bill.com from an AP automation tool. Now I'm assuming from security for internal purposes that you know my laptop and you know I I go to the Geek Squad at uh, Best Buy and I get all my stuff set up, but uh, you know I have I have at least a foundation of what my tech stack would be as a starting point. So that's on the uh, the technology side. Um, so on the process side, you know I would say, you know, what what am I good at? You know, what industries um, am I familiar with? If if I'm good at restaurant or I'm good at uh, a service business or a manufacturing business, or you know, it could be anything. But mm-hmm. let's let's start with a service business because typically it's less complicated, and you don't have to work on and leveraging inventory and some of the other complications. So let's mm-hmm. let's start. You no know, I guess we'll, we can do a restaurant. I mean, we'll restaurant okay. we'll do it, we'll do a restaurant to start. And uh, you know, the nice thing about restaurants at the point of sale systems would integrate with QuickBooks Online or Zero or any of those tools so that you would able to pull the sales information. So from a process perspective, you know, we would look to kind of defining, you know, the chart of accounts that we would want to use. What is standard operating procedures? Um, you know, how do you use the technology? You know, what is the process from the standpoint of transactional level accounts, payable accounts receivable to doing the reconciliations to creating the financial statements, you would kind of define that SOP. Um, working with a restaurateur or somebody like that and, and even more focused, maybe focus specifically on a franchise. So maybe we'll use, um, let's, let's use Burger King as an example. So let's say I'm familiar with a quick serve. It has less transactions. It won't be as complicated as a full service. You don't have to deal with liquor. So we would start with uh, a Burger King as an example. So that would be kind of a process focusing there. And then on the people side, you know, since you don't have a lot of money, Mm-hmm. Uh, for $5,000, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, accounting uh, companies out there that help from a part-time perspective. So, you know, initially I probably would not make the investment of hiring somebody yet, but I would use a, a firm or a smaller firm that has some experience in that industry and almost outsource that to them as a starting point. So you only need a couple of people. So then now I have my technology platform and, and assuming that I'm from a people side, those individuals uh, have knowledge of the of the tools that I identify. And then we also have um, the process side, the work papers and everything like that. So so that's that's my foundation from a people process and technology. Now I have that, you know, I have my relationship with my provider on these on the staffing side. And uh, the next thing is 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 marketing is, is 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 putting together a marketing plan and how to go about doing that. Now, in the, in the franchise space, you can establish real, you know, relationships with franchisors. So you build a, a business case and kind of meet with a franchisor. In this case, we use Burger King, kind of talk to them and say, hey, you know, I I have some experience from you know, working on other Burger Kings in the past. Let's just assume that the owner has that experience. So, you know, I'd like to establish a relationship with you. And, and if you can help, and I know that a lot of franchisees out there are out there struggling trying to do the books and do the accounting can you help make some introductions to to us so that we can help support some of the franchisees which will make your job much easier as well
0: mm-hmm. so i would
1: focus on those areas and developing those relationships and then go to local burger kings as an example to start having those conversations and start from there so that's from a from a dollar's perspective it you're you're leveraging the relationships of the franchise or to help market for you would be a goal or or something like that as a, as an expectation, mm-hmm. and then from a a pricing perspective, because the franchisor is going to say, "Well, what are you going to charge me?" and and the franchisee is going to say the same thing. Um, we would put together uh, two or three different packages. So there could mm-hmm. be a package where it's just uh, reconciliation financial statements only. There could be a package. Could, there could be a, a, a silver, you know, a bronze, silver, gold package as an example, where where the gold has full transactions. You're, you're kind of handling all the back office accounting for for a specific client where the, the, where the silver could be doing not as much. Maybe you're not doing uh, uh, the transactions, you're still doing the, the reconciliations and the financial statement. And then you have the bronze where you're only doing financial statements, as an example. So, so mm-hmm. those price points would be something that you would create for the franchise or to help market out to the franchisees. So when they have conversations, they already have a sense of what the cost would be as well.
0: Mm-hmm. You create kind of
1: a standard contract and standard approach so you can replicate that and grow from there. So that would be my approach to take, especially if I'm starting with five thousand dollars to and so the revenue comes in. Um, you can start building upon that. You know, the goal would be once you establish you have some clients, and then you would look to bring in somebody. And it's always critical that you know the first time you bring somebody in would be a, a potential leader of the future, somebody who's, you know, a strong accountant, has great people skills. Mm-hmm. Also somebody who um, is, loves technology and wants to embrace it. So that would be my first hire as I as I kind of build my company from there.
0: So so your first hire, if I understand correctly, are you looking to replace you with that first hire in terms of like doing the work?
1: That would be the goal.
0: Yes, that mm-hmm. would be
1: the goal. And then you'd also have um, support from that third party or third parties to help uh, depending on the type of, of work you have. Because when you think about it, On a monthly basis, the transactional, if you're doing the transactional, that's pretty consistent on a weekly basis. But for Mm -hmm. month end, when things, those three or four or five days, it gets more intense. So you want to make sure you have enough capacity to support uh, the work that's required at at the month end as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I want to take a step back and kind of dive a little into kind of the steps you walked us through. Mm -hmm. The first thing that struck me is a lot of these steps don't cost any money. Setting up QuickBooks... Google accounting, $0. Getting certified, $0. Bill.com, $0. Putting together, you know, marketing materials, scope of work, $0. You don't have to hire that out. You can do that yourself. Thinking through those types of things like you were saying, the, you know, processes and whatnot of what you would go to your ideal client with, $0. But what is required is a lot of thought and mm-hmm. research into, this is what I really pulled from it, is you kind of lasered in on this very specific industry. You're like quick serve franchise Mm -hmm. restaurants, you know? And but yeah. Yeah, but there was a lot of thought of, okay, these are the reasons why, because, you know, A, B, C, D. So money's not required, you know, as you're doing this, but thoughtful research is required. And really thinking through, you know, not only in terms of what does the deliverable look like, how hard is it to do the deliverable, but also is like, how hard is it to get these clients? How many of these clients are there? So it just seems like there was a lot of thought as you were doing this into those things. And again, zero dollars. The one thing that might cost money is when you said like contract. What would you do? How would you, who would you go to to have a contract written up? Would you go to like see what the AICPA had as templates or what would you do for that?
1: Yeah, so like for CPA.com, they, there are contracts and things. So you would, you probably want to get a membership with CPA.com and be part of the AICPA. Because as part of what I do on the, on the advisory board for CPA.com for, uh, for CAS is, you know, we're helping to define pricing models and, and templates and, and different things like that. So you can, you can definitely leverage uh, templates from that means. Now, now, knowing it's your own organization, you probably want to spend a little bit of dollars and, and get some legal advice and, and from, a, from a contract lawyer to, to review that. But the mm-hmm. other nice thing about this industry is the collaboration of the different thought leaders and and cast leaders across the the firms. Where maybe they're not going to share with you their contract, but they'll share other things potentially with you. And you know they've done that, and I've done that with others as you know as I've been in this industry for the last three and a half years. But yeah, there's places you can go to get templates. Even going to uh, like Intuit or Zero or Sage or NetSuite there's they have templates and other things that you can they can you can leverage as well so uh, and you know creating that uh engagement letter you know so when you think about it, you'll have that engagement letter and those engagement letters are typically three pages long they're not you know 100 pages long as an example cool. so you know when i when i started at uh UHY, we didn't have an engagement letter so we you know we created it you know we had to create all that and and If you got to focus on it and and, and do your homework, but uh, with a little bit of legal advice, you should be pretty good with
0: that. Mm -hmm. Did you know that 52% of accounting practitioners, large and small, still rely on spreadsheets and manual processes for sales tax compliance? Why not move your accounting practice to the 21st century using Avalara for accountants? The Avalara for Accountants Automation platform helps accounting service providers of any size grow their service offerings with sales tax prep and filing, transfer pricing, research, business license management, and more. Scale your practice efficiently with award-winning automation that brings efficiency and accuracy to sales tax compliance. Want to learn more? Email accountants at avalara.com or visit avalara.com. Okay, so the next thing you talked about is partnering with uh, some type of firm that does offshoring, correct? It could be offshore, or offshoring. It, you know,
1: it, could, it could be. I mean, there's local firms all over the country that uh, provide uh, accounting services. So there could be a small BPO company or a, a small CPA firm, as an example, that um, is either local or somewhere else. So there's a lot of firms out there that are looking to fill their capacity, and you can establish a friendly relationship with them. So. As an example, maybe uh, somebody's on the West Coast and you're in the midwest or on the east coast and and, and they want to focus on x and and you want to focus on y so you can establish that relationship now you want to be careful that you know spending some money that you have you know not competes and you have specific uh you you're papered appropriately for that you know, or you can find staffing agencies too. The reason why I would go from a smaller company because you know they have the training they have the support where from a staffing company, you have to come in and do that. And mm-hmm. you want to have that support up front because a lot of, you're going to be pulled in so many directions if you're that owner and you want to make sure that there's somebody working there with you and, uh, you're leveraging their resources. And of course you're paying them as, as your client's paying you. So you're able to, to hopefully build a profitable business. And then as you scale, then you can take on you know a different approach if need be. So.
0: It, would this relationship, would it be from the client's UX pr- or perspective, would it be like a white label? Like, would they just be working through you and then, you know, on the back end, behind the curtain, different things are happening? Like, what would it be like from the client's perspective?
1: So, so it, typically, if you can white label, that's great. But you could also through, you know, the relationship, you know, let them know. I mean, there, there are firms out there that use contractors. That's not a surprise. I mean, you, mm-hmm. a lot of large organizations, um, especially as they grow quickly, you have to augment capacity with using third parties. So it's, yeah, it's, I, th- I think from my experiences, if you bring the right people to the table, when you have those relationships or kickoff calls with clients, then you, you find that the comfort is right there. So you have to make sure from a interaction people side that you have the people there to do the work and they build that confidence you know whether that's implementing a technology too where you know we've used i've used contractors and and consultants in the past where we may be helping to leave and drive it but we're using third-party contractors to help and we let our clients know that and the clients are normally fine with if the work is being done correctly if it's not then then you have to address that appropriately as well
0: yeah. I mean, I'm like thinking back to my own engagement letter. I'm like, there's definitely a paragraph in there about, you know, we'll probably utilize third parties and contractors and da-da-da-da-da. Um, what did you do at UHY? Was it, did you just hire internal staff or did you utilize contractors at, at all as you were kind of getting getting the ball rolling?
1: So a couple of things, we um, identified some individuals within the tax group that had some capacity. So when we started to um, to, to grow. We, we moved a couple in there to help us and to support us. Um, I did end up hiring, I mean, different, I had more than $5,000. So yeah. I was able to, uh, to hire, I hired a couple individuals up front, uh, one mm-hmm. extremely sharp and fantastic experience. And and she, she was great and made a big impact, but we also did the implementation of the the technology solutions for our clients too. So in that area, we had a combination of uh, consultants and in, in our team as well.
0: Mm-hmm. so
1: uh, so kind of a mix and match, and kind of depending on the line of business and how fast we were growing, so okay. I kind of kind of used everything from that perspective
0: at what kind of revenue point would you because then you also talked about hiring someone to you know replace you that can kind of take over the day to day you know make sure the machine's running what what point at what growth point? does that person come in? Well, I think that uh, you want to have a
1: slew of clients first. So you're establishing, you know, that foundation. We'll go back to the Burger King discussion where you have, let's say, five different clients and they have different, you know, two units or three units each. And you're able to almost fill, you know, one of the individuals in the third party, right? So you're starting to bring in some decent revenue now. Mm-hmm. Um, i no, I guess I can. Can I take out a loan? Or no, I can't take it out.
0: Uh, y yes. Yeah. You know what? Yes, there's no rules. Uh, yes, no. Yeah. How much of a loan would you take on? What would you do with it? This is a great. This is a great question. This is good. This is great.
1: <laughs> so, so I mean, if you look in the marketplace, that you would, so you would want to bring in probably a senior accountant if you can, or somebody who's mm-hmm. got a good experience, and and you know, in the marketplace, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna pay more than you know, sixty thousand dollars north. Oh so. yeah. So, uh, even closer to six figures uh, in today's market, depending on where you live and, and what part of the country. So, you know, potentially taking on a loan or, or I mean, it, it depends on how fast you want to grow. I mean, learn that if you, if you want to just have steady growth and you just continue to be that person and you keep adding to that third party and grow from that perspective. But, and if you're able to make the one thing is your margins are not going to be as high because, you know, you're typically using a third party and they're marking up their markup, right? As an example.
0: Mm-hmm. But,
1: uh, you know, I think that you would probably want to get to at least, you know, 10 clients or so, and you see that the model's working, and then you want to make that investment. But keep in mind, you want to invest now for the future, because that person you're bringing on may take a month or two months to get trained, to get certified, um, to get up and running. And then you would have to use that third party to help support and 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 support that individual as well. Mm-hmm. My role would be more uh, focused, more external from a... Uh, building relationships and, and business development and, and strategic alliances where mm. the individual coming in would be much more of a chief operating officer kind of a mindset where making sure that the lights stay on and the execution is being done properly.
0: Totally. Okay, That I, two more questions popped into my head as you were saying that. My first question would be from, okay, you talked about the role you would be doing and focused on. How would you, where would you go? So you've narrowed down your niche. You're doing Burger King franchises. <laughs> How do you find these clients? Where are you going? So you said you're going to Burger King itself. Where else can you meet these people? Well, the great thing about uh,
1: franchises, they're part of the the IFA, International mm. Franchise Association. And there's local IFAs around the country you can go to. Plus there's one, and I haven't been part of the franchise space for a while now, but there's the national conferences. Plus there's re- restaurant conferences all over the country. So some of that $5,000... You have to be smart. But in today's world, you have to establish relationships with folks. So you go to the local IFA, is going to the the national conferences is where you really establish that. You can't make an investment right now to uh, to buy a booth, right? Because you don't have enough money to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but, that but you can walk, you can meet. Um, and also, a lot of that information is public information too, on mm-hmm. where you can go and look at the number of franchisees, multi units, how big they are. Um, where are they located, um, so that information is available. Um, you can buy some of that information too, and then uh, the goal would be to, to identify and do work with two or three of them, and then hopefully they're speaking good about the work that you're doing, and then you get ten. You know, it goes from there. So, so you do need to do a lot of marketing on the conferences, and I think speaking engagements help as well, which are free. So having speaking engagements at IFA would be a great example to talk about how you can support and. What are some of the challenges with food and labor costs and how do you what kind of key performance indicators are restaurants looking for? How do you integrate uh, from an automation perspective you know how do you become effective you know and, and, and impactful so those are things that speaking and, and using LinkedIn and a lot of a lot of different tools it it can help you kind of what I call generate demand in the marketplace for your
0: service-hmm yeah and i'll I'll even add to that. People, you want to think about where your ideal client is hanging out. And in this circumstance, they are hanging out at, you know, industry conventions. And we want to always ask ourselves, where else do they hang out? What do they listen to? What do they read? And go put yourself in front of them in, in those situations. So it's like, is there an industry podcast that's popular? See if you can get on as a guest on that. Are there Facebook groups they hang out on? Probably. Go get in those Facebook groups. People will ask, like, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. People will always ask accounting and tax questions in those Facebook groups. Go in and start answering those questions. Go on, I mean, heaven forbid, Reddit. I don't know. Go on Reddit. <laughs> See what people I mean were asking in the franchise forum. So you want to be thinking again, like, where's my client going to be? And then go to that place. Like I was thinking as you were talking about the conventions, and I've never done this, and honestly, a lot of the accountants I've talked with don't either, is I don't go to any industry conventions, and I know I should. I know yeah. I should.
1: And I've done that over the years. And, and for me, it's been it's been beneficial in many different ways, not only from yeah, clients, right. but mm-hmm. you build relationships with other thought leaders and you get yes. to hear about things and it, you become smarter. So I, I've always been a huge advocate of that. And earlier on, more in my career, I did a lot more that I do a lot of speaking engagements right now. And it, it's beneficial because then it gives you a good pulse on what's happening. I mean, you learn like it, you know, go to a Burger King. I, I've been to their headquarters a long time ago is you know, they had challenges and with this type of technology and that their franchisees were struggling in these areas. So you get the talking points to then address those talking points with the client, with the franchisees. So, you know, reaching out to a Burger King franchise or whatever, and having these conversations with them and wow, you know, I do have that same challenge and wow, you have a potential solution for me. And, And if you can talk about, yeah, I already integrate with your point of sale system. You know, I know what payroll providers you typically use. I know, um, you know, kind of, you know, how, how things work and how about your vendors and all that. So the more information you can glean and going back to your point is it's the thought knowledge. It's the knowledge that you have.
0: Mm-hmm. It's,
1: you're not, you're not spending money, but you're, you're spending time, I should say, and taking the time to really learn as much as you can about the client because the client wants to do business with somebody who knows about their business and that mm-hmm. can take care of their business too. And the more you're able to build that rapport and that relationship, the better opportunity is for them to say, yeah, here you go. I trust you, and uh, let's let it rip as an example.
0: Yes, and that's actually, I remember years ago, I was studying some type of like copywriting course, but one of the things they said is, search for the questions your ideal client is asking. How do I do this? How do I do this? What does this mean? And take those questions and put them in your copy. Because then they will be reading your copy and be like, oh my gosh, yes, exactly, that's me. And so that's also a great marketing technique. If you are having these conversations and people are telling you, these are the things that are hard. These are the things I'm struggling with. That's my, that's content for you to get more clients. Yeah,
1: see, listening, I think spending a lot of time listening to clients as you're mm-hmm. kind of doing that initially is spending time you know for it's free. I mean, it's your time. but meeting with franchises or you know if you're whatever business you you want to do is really get a sense of what what are the challenges they do have. You know, and there's a lot of technology challenges out there. A lot of these organizations haven't changed their tech stack for years. Now that's changed a lot with the pandemic kind of uh, was kind of a, a booster shot, I like to call it, to, to kind of make that change management, to have to make those investments in, in cloud and all that, because, you know, I've seen a lot of that. We've done hundreds of uh, implementations of technology, but I think that the more you learn about what they haven't done, and what they can do and see what those results are. And you know, that's what's important. You, you know, A lot of them, they don't, they don't want to read a 30 page financial statement. You know, they want to have the key performance indicators and and where they compare and what they're doing and what do they need to do or what insight they can get in order to make better decisions. So that's what, you know, some of our clients didn't even want to look at financial statements. They just wanted this certain information. So I think you have to you don't want to, you know, kind of shove something down their throats. You want to listen to what they really want and provide that to them. And then you build that relationship from there as you move forward. So
0: Oh, I love that. That's such a great point. You we really need to meet our clients where they're at. And it means Speaking on their level, you know, using terms and phrases and wording that they use. And the more you talk to them, the more you're going to know what those are. And then pretty soon it just becomes second nature to speak with them, you know, with that. Cause yeah, if I say, if I, if I say balance sheet to one of my clients, they don't know what a balance sheet is. (laughs) So, you know,
1: (laughs) you know, and that, and that's a great point because when you, when you think about cast 2.0 and where we want it's it's not just throwing a bunch of financial statements over the fence and saying you know here you go you know good luck and god bless you i think it's i think it's uh it's having picking up that phone it's it's meeting with the client if you can it's having those conversations and 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 getting deep and i think that's an area where we all need to get better where i think you know sometimes you find that you, the, the industry's focus is really just kind of assembly line, getting everything out to clients, right? And, yep. and, uh, and hoping that what you send to them is what they want. But I think one thing we need to figure out in leveraging tools for this is understand really what they need and helping them determine where they want to go. And you get into FP&A yeah. and many different things and where CAS wants to go. And I think that's an area where those are going to be the differentiations in the future of, uh, you know, today a lot of clients are just struggling in getting. Financial statements. I mean, that's that's still the challenge today. But hopefully, hopefully, three you know years or fifty years from now, I don't know. But uh, hopefully, in the near future, uh, they have that foundation. Now they're looking for more, and and I think that's what Cast Two is, and that's where I want to go, and and a lot of us want to go as an industry uh, to take it to the next level and and really provide that you know that service to our clients, where then they can leverage you know tax and other services within the firm. Yes. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're really an extension of their team. We're working with them daily, weekly, monthly. And oh, you know, it should be our job to listen, to understand, to digest, to provide, and, and to help support as they move forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll be the first to say, g- just getting the books where you need them in order to do all those other value add things, which the client actually wants, that's what the client actually wants, is hard it's very hard getting the books in good working order so you can do the forecasting. So you can actually do the tax strategies. Have you, do you have a solution for that? How do we get good financials?
1: <laughs> that, that I mean, that's the biggest challenge I think that, that all of us have. And, and when, when I was at wow. UHY too, is that most of what we received wasn't beautiful uh, financial statements or clients that have in, in perfect sense. It was, it was a mess, right? It's uh, it was a, it was a big mess. And, uh, you know, what we, we did is we created kind of a SWAT team to help, um, with, you know, individuals that are able to go on, they love to solve problems and love put things together and help to resolve that. But some of those are big lifts. So we had to go back sometimes two years
0: mm-hmm. of financials
1: or three years. Um, yep. my, my favorite one was when somebody, uh, had a pallet, they rolled into our office that was filled with boxes. And that was my favorite one. And, and, and here you go. So, I mean, I didn't even, that's all they have. So, so that that's you know that's a that, there's a lot of them like that and uh, but but that's okay I mean we need to be prepared for that if the only reason why they're coming to us is because they need our help or they need exactly. our support exactly if if their books and their their books and records were in perfect shape then why would they come to us that's
0: And that's uh, what I always well. tell new clients because <laughs> they come I find I work so my demographic I work with is mostly small S corp so sub million of revenue owner some are just the owner maybe a couple employees but these are these are little guys and they always come so ashamed of, like, I haven't done anything and I'm so embarrassed. And I'm like, first off, don't be embarrassed. Like, you're searching for help, like, step one, admitting you have a problem. And I go, also, every client who comes to me is a dumpster fire. Like, that's why Look I there. exist. So I was like, it's totally fine. Uh, this is why I have a job. It's because, and I, and I, then I usually, you know, tell them a couple stories to help them feel better. You know, oh, this twelve million dollar franchise I worked with didn't even have, you know, had all these things they hadn't done, and they'd been in existence for thirty years. So, like, everyone's a hot mess, and it's okay. But you know, you're coming to me, and I will help set you straight. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the thing is, with the hot mess, though, you you have to really set the expectation with the clients of what is expected too. to, to take that hot mess and put it into a good place. Because I think that what we've learned is that they think that they can drop that pallet with, you know, 30 boxes in in your office and Mm -hmm. then you'll have it done, be done in eight hours. So, you know, I think that's, I think that's, but I mean, I think those are, those are the conversations that we have to have with our clients to set that proper expectation because something like that could take a month, right? I think we all know that. So it's, and, and there's a cost investment associated with that. Yeah. So I think that's where you have to sell the value and the proposition of, all right, we have a mess here. We're going to get you there. This is, there's an investment you need to take. And then mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's phase one, you know, phase two, let's get you monthly financial statements that we'll review with you and, and, and then look at comparisons uh, historically of trends and how your sales and your cost of goods sold and what your net income is. And then, you know, phase three, let's start looking ahead in the future and figure out where you want to go. I mean, that's it. I'm simplifying it. I mean it's yes. not that simple. But I think that you need to tell them kind of what the big picture is because what I we found before is that you kinda you come in and you do that investment, they pay and then they leave. And then and then they call you a year later and have the same problem. So you have to, you know, you really have to set that expectation up front. So
0: Yeah. Well, honestly, so I'm partnered with a firm. how it works is I do all the sales, they're my clients, they come in, and then this other firm does all the work. So kind of like what you're saying, it's a revenue share, they take 60, I take 40, top line. It's great, but that's been, like, number one, that's been a huge thing that I've been learned that I was not super great at with setting those expectations up front. Like, this is actually how much time this is gonna take. If you don't do this, this is the natural result of you, like, not doing this. You know, pretty much how their internal timeline works is, as soon as we get the last thing we requested for, it's at least a three-week three week span, you know, but it pushes it back on the client a lot, being like, if you're not getting our stuff, we're not, we're not doing this work. So that's one thing I've learned from partnering with this firm is they are very strict. Like, I would half-onboard people and then just dive into the work. That's what I <laughs> would do. And this firm will not do that. They want every single last piece of information they're requesting. And until they get it, they are not touching any work. You're still on onboarding. And no, that's- I think... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I think I was like, oh, wow. How many other firms have been doing what I've been doing? (laughs) Yeah. And I I think what
1: you're what you're saying is when you go back to your challenge for the five thousand dollars for me, is that you Mm -hmm. have to make sure you pick the right clients, too. So if you find if you're up front and you don't you're starting small, if you have the wrong clients, it could be very, very difficult to even recover from that. And where folks are not, you know, as simple as give you read only access to the bank accounts. Right. Or or and same thing with credit cards, or or integration with their their payroll and HRS platform. So if if they're not willing and, and, and they're not responsive, and, and and there's always times when they're going to be busy, but you want to be careful because you don't want to spend your whole time trying to chase them and you're not able to get the work done. So I think that's I've learned that the you know the lesson the hard way too is where you just want to keep taking everybody in. You really want mm-hmm. to assess and determine who the right fit is for you and what you want to do because. It's interesting. Sometimes your largest clients end up being the easiest ones, but your smallest clients take up most of the time.
0: That's, so yeah. that's true A 100% of the time. <laughs> true. All right. Well, so, okay. So here's like kind of my last question around that largest for small clients and 30K MRR. What would be an ideal number of clients at that monthly recurring revenue? Taking into account, you know, volume versus is this one client make up too much of my revenue? And if I lose them, I can't pay my bills. What would be a good make up?
1: So make up from from a large and small client perspective? Like uh,
0: in terms of like for 30K, would that be 15 clients good at that? 30 clients, 60 clients, 10 clients? Like what would be a good number? So you want 30K a month is what you want right now.
1: So You want to do $360,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at a restaurant, let's just let's do simple math. So let's just say full service restaurant, qu- quick service, six hundred dollars a month. So okay, so you do that math. Um, so you have uh, you need quite a bit.
0: Ooh, that's a, that's that's fifty clients.
1: <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, if it's full service and, and beyond that, you can you can get up to a $1, thousand, twelve hundred dollars. So it depends mm-hmm. on what it is. You know, some some of the clients that that I've had, we we uh, we bill thirty thousand dollars a month. Totally.
0: What would so, ideal? So, so, it's, what-
1: so it's really, go ahead.
0: Oh, I was going to say, what would your ideal be? What would Keynes be? <laughs> I
1: mean, I, I would love to find clients that are between, you know, five and $10,000 a month. Each. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. Where I,
0: that's where I
1: would, that's where I would want to be just because they're, you know, they're big enough. Uh, you know, they're substantial enough. You can provide good service for them. Mm-hmm. So keep <laughs> in mind a restaurant could have 10 units as an example, right? And 10 units at $600 is, you know, $6,000 a month. So, so if I think you have between five and $10,000 a month and you can get up to your 30,000 quickly, Matt, the hard part is finding that client, initial clients that are going to do that. Cause some of the clients will be much smaller to start with, but uh, that would be kind of my thoughts is between five to 10,000 a month uh, per client.
0: And with that, if that, with that five to 10,000, are you just doing these kind of basic accounting functions, you know, the bookkeeping, the AP, or are you doing any of that more advanced strategy and planning?
1: So initially, for my first six months uh, uh, or first year, I want to just build the foundation. Mm-hmm. So if if I have the opportunity to do FP&A or, or some more CFO advisory, that's that's only gravy. It's only a bonus. But mm-hmm. I would want to put a clients into a good place where on a monthly there's a good cadence and and they're paying their bills too because that's the other challenge is making sure that they pay timely and accurately too. Because if I only have five thousand dollars, I don't have a lot of money to pay you know pay the payroll. So these people. <laughs> So you set them off on ACH and have them prepay, and there's different ways of handling those situations, but uh, but I think that's one thing you have to take into consideration as well.
0: Oh, 100%. And, like, two takeaways I would tell people is, number one, raise your rates always, and number two, get paid up front before you do work. Like, do not work in arrears. We do not have to do that in our industry.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, if you can you can extract ACH from each of your clients uh, the first of the month for that month and you're in a much better situation. Help to alleviate, eliminate your AR problem. And But you're right, most people in the industry don't do that. They they collect afterwards and year-end is always a, a fun time to try to collect uh, a revenue.
0: Gosh, so. I actually, I can't remember if it was, might've been last tax season. I think I did a tweet about that, asking people if they collect tax money up front like it was a poll I did like do you collect money up front do you require deposit up front or do you collect all at the end and I was shocked at how many people said they bill at completion and I was like and and what they said their reasoning for it was well my clients pay like I'm not no one I've never been stiffed but I'm like from a cash flow perspective like you're you could get that cash up front like you are like providing float for their business (laughs) And you're just working for free essentially until stuff is complete, and then also it's tax time. People drag their feet; they're not in a rush. So it's like the slower they are getting stuff to you, the more you are having to pay for these services out of your own pocket before you're getting paid after the fact. Like it was just so Mm. surprising to me that all these accountants were billing after the fact, just because I've never had issue collecting, but not thinking of like the cash flow perspective.
1: Well, well, there's, I think most probably accounting firms have challenges with that. So I think that. In the BPO space, business process outsourcing space, I think a lot of those providers do that or try to do that. But I mean, I think that that's an area that we really need to push hard on because it, I mean, it's everybody thinks they're going to pay, even if it's your best client, but then you find out something happens and then they all sorry, I can't pay you this month, but I'll pay you next month. Oh, sorry, I can't pay you this month. And then they come back and say, well, I'm not really happy with your services now and they leave you. And it wasn't because your services weren't good. It's because they didn't, they didn't want to pay. So that happened.
0: Yeah, or I'm. Do you know who? Do you know who Brandon Hall is? He's a. Uh, it's the real estate CPA. He's he's uh, building a virtual firm out of Chicago. He did this. I was like, just keep referencing Twitter. He did this tweet thread about this nightmare scenario where it was like months and months and months of work, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that they did for this client. And They did the work, and then the client disputed all the charges. And I think it was American Express. And even though they had contracts and everything to show, like we did the work, here was the deliverables da, 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 to the credit card company, they weren't able to get any of it back.
1: Yeah, no, that's a common thing. I've it's, in my career, it's happened you know many times, and it's it gets to very uncomfortable conversations too, and nobody wants to go down that path. But I think that you know the better you can set something up, even if it's a net thirty or net you know forty five, you still mm-hmm. find cases. Well, let me pay you net sixty or net ninety, and then. You run into that situation like you just explained it, at American Express, and they decide, well, you know, sorry, you know, we can't pay you right now.
0: Yeah is is ACH how you avoid that? Like you can't go back after the fact, right, and get ACH back? I should know this answer, but I don't. No, I mean
1: swear. ACH you would set up where you're you drawing you know, drawing information from their bank account, which you have. You know, there's a form you fill out for you know, prepayment,
0: mm-hmm. or
1: you you could know, do it after if you want. But uh, you know, a lot of clients would say, well, they don't do that, and Some of them still send in checks, but then you get the you always get the response with the checks in the mail. And and then you then then the next week's check still in the mail and the dog ate the check. I don't know. So.
0: Yes. Well, one thing I noticed, too, like, sorry, I just keep thinking of ideas is people will keep doing work even though they haven't been paid. That's another thing I've noticed in our industry. Instead of stopping work and saying, I will not do another thing until you remit payment, they will let it drag on for a couple months.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a problem. So as yeah. you're building your firm, don't
0: do that, people.
1: Well, I think you can't afford to do that initially, but yeah, in the yes. larger firms still too. I you know I talk to others, and that's you know that's a challenge that somebody hasn't paid for six months, and and, and folks are still doing it, and the client calls up and asks for a request, and we jump and do it. You know that that yes. still happens, and it just that that's something that you know we have to
0: reevaluate for sure. So yes, okay, this was a really fun conversation. I could keep going forever. But I want to, like, wrap up kind of the highlights of what we talked about. The first being to actually get started in terms of figuring out your ideal client, market research, marketing materials, getting set up on QBO, developing your products and services, um, SOPs, et cetera, et cetera. None of that costs any money. Correct. And, you know, forming those relationships you want to get, number one, good contracts in place. So, you know, if there are disputes, so maybe invest some money in that. And then as you're building the business, I like to always work backwards because I do forecasting for clients. It's always where do I want it to get to? And then how do I how do I build that starting from day one? So figuring out, OK, I'm going to get up to 30K MRR. How many clients is that? What's the average price point And reverse engineer it? Mm-hmm. You know? and also too like especially in terms of payment like make sure you're getting paid don't be like most people in our industry get money up front if you're not getting paid stop work and only work with good clients like have a wealth <laughs> mindset there's all of us have more clients than we know what to do with you can you can be picky and you can drop the people who are not good Yeah, we fire you fire i mean i've um i've had to fire bad clients i mean it's not
1: nobody wants to do it but uh it's something that we all need to do, and uh, especially if uh, especially, I've had situations where they're not treating our, our employees correctly. You know, there's you know, there's all yes. kinds of things that yes. happen out there, and instead of taking it, you know, sometimes you have to make that decision. So it's... Uh,
0: oh, my gosh. I think early on in my career, I was very afraid of that. I was always afraid of losing a client, and now, I mean, I've been in the industry for 10 years. Just this fall, I fired three people during onboard. <laughs> Because yeah. they couldn't follow the processes, and I'm like, you know what? This isn't going to work. If you can't upload a box, if you can't add us as a third party user to your bank, if you can't click my Zoom link to set up a meeting, this relation like that—that's not how we work. This is not going to be a good relationship. Let's just go our separate ways. Call it good. Yeah, no, and I, I think we need to we need to do that more often and not wait. too yes, long too. Right. I
1: think there's cases where we've waited. Well, I've I've waited too long too. So I mean, I think that it impacts the morale. I mean, one thing that as you build your business and you have your employees and they're of your own is you want to build a great culture and, and, and a place that they enjoy working and, and you want to, you want to protect your client. You want to protect your employees as an example. So the last thing you want to do is you, you bring in clients and maybe the revenue is high, but then you find out they're treating your employees incorrectly or badly. And sending emails that are unprofessional. And, uh, you know, I think I think uh, your staff remembers that kind of stuff and sees that and, yeah. and the investment in the, in the training and the certification, but that's one. It's a big aspect I think, especially today with hard to find really good employees. Uh, you really yes. want to make sure you take take the right approach and you have them that you care and you want to you want them to grow and and move up and. And take on more responsibility and do things that they love. And, yeah. uh, but you have to protect your employees too. So.
0: Yes. It's easier to find more clients than employees, especially in today's labor market.
1: That's true. That's true. Yeah. There's no, <laughs> there's no issue. I mean, I, we had to, uh, just to talk about that, we had to stop our sales process for six months because we were growing so fast. Wow. I mean, it was that crazy. I mean, we would, we would, we'd get on the phone with uh, individuals who would call us and it would be a client or a prospect. and we would on the call in five minutes they they said they needed help and this was during the pandemic but it was so crazy yeah. and there was so much of a it demand and it's not as crazy as it is today you know as it was back then but uh you you really want to make sure you don't grow too fast either so it's you want to grow in the right way and in, in, the, in the smart way and uh you you're going to learn it's never going to be perfect but you know mm-hmm. it's very easy to take on and just open up having that big uh net of catching all that fish and bringing it in at once and sometimes that could be overwhelming too and you you don't want to work your team to death either so
0: yeah exactly and that comes back to two like number one understanding your team's capacity and then two having really good systems and processes in place for getting you know onboarding new clients and you know pushing them into the machine and getting them set up so onboarding's always i found such a bottleneck <laughs> that's not the most challenge it's probably
1: one of the most challenging pieces is it is onboarding you want to have some of your best staff there and you have to be able to communicate. And, and it's a lot of project management that's in, yes. is required to do the work successfully.
0: Yes, yeah. And that, and even to the psychology of working, like I've, I've read a lot of books on like sales and whatnot. There's one of the best ways to like make new customers very happy is to make them feel like things are being accomplished immediately. So yeah. setting up your onboarding process to make them feel like that, because then they will be more excited and more engaged that stuff is happening. So.
1: Yeah, no, for sure, for sure.
0: Yeah, and celebrate
1: the wins and celebrate, but also set the expectation of the client. There, there will be challenges. It's not going to be easy, but mm-hmm. over-communicate, you know, do a weekly status report, touch face, you know, have, have those conversations and, and I think oh, I uh, love using, that. using zoom and, you all the different technology, walk through that process on, on screen with your client too, or in person, if you can. And, uh, I think just sending emails, people get so used to just sending emails out and you get hundreds of emails a day, oh. but. Right. having those conversations building that rapport you know i find sometimes even sending somebody out to the client you can save so much time than to have somebody emailing 30 40 times back and forth if a client it is Yep.
0: exactly oh kane it was so good having you on if people want to find you and connect with you where is the best way to do that
1: you can just connect with me on linkedin so you can you can look me up uh you know kane polikoff you yeah. Just uh, there's not many Cane's Holocausts out there. So uh, I'm sure you'll find me. Uh, so it's P O L A K O F F. But uh, you'd love to love to have conversations. And, and I always like to learn and love to share my experiences as well.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. This was a really fun conversation. Like I said, I've been looking forward to this conversation for almost a year. So <laughs> <laughs> great. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. And thank you, all my listeners. I will see you next time.